Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. Today we're going to be talking about China and the balloon incident. That's right. We're going to be talking about how a couple of weeks ago, China had a, what they called a rogue civilian weather balloon come across the United States. And there was just too many similarities between this incident some previous incidents that I thought we should talk about it. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of like, you know, Cold War 2.0 mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it, there are it's bigger a lot than of just similarities. the balloon. A lot of similarities. In, in fact, we kind of wanted to start by maybe talking about the situation in Taiwan. Yeah, why this is a big deal. So, so why we're going to be talking about why we don't really super believe this is just a rogue weather balloon. But we're also going to be talking about why this would even matter. I was reading an article on CNN, and they were like, it's, this isn't a big deal. Why are you making a fuss? La, la, la. And it I was like. It doesn't sound like a big deal. It doesn't. But they always make it not sound like a big deal. Well, that's not true. They they will make something sound like a big deal oh, when it's true. not. You're right. But just because they say it's not a big deal does not mean it's not you a big deal. You can rest assured that as a citizen of the United States, you are only getting part of the story, whether they are inflating it or deflating it, as we are talking in balloon terms. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not getting the whole story. So we have broken this apart, and we're going to tell you what we've learned about this whole Chinese weather balloon incident. And in order to do so, we have to back all the way up to Taiwan. Yeah, so there's nothing really balloon-related when we talk about Taiwan, but just to give you kind of a big picture uh, of why we might be having conflict with China yes. is uh, there's a lot going on with Taiwan. I mean, And so, China. And China. Mm-hmm. And, and to start off with, so Taiwan mm-hmm. is a, an island. It's about 100 miles off the coast of China. There's about 23 million people living there, and it's about 245 miles long, 90 to, miles across. To give across. you an estimate, it's about the size of the state of Maryland, which is, like, I think the eighth smallest state in the United States. So it is a tiny country. Yeah, very, very tiny. But one thing is that its location is very strategically important. If you were to pull up a map of, like, southeast Asia, what you're going to see is that where, where China is, it's like ocean access everywhere. It's surrounded by islands. You got Japan and, you know, in the, like the northern side mm-hmm. and you got like Philippines and a whole bunch of other islands in the south. So there's a lot of strategic importance to the location. And then you've got the history. So the, just a quick overview of the history is at uh, prior to World War II, Japan actually had control. So Japan took control of Taiwan back in like 1890. But after World War II, when Japan surrendered, it gave up the island uh, of Taiwan. Yes, but before that, China had had Taiwan. Well, China gave it to Japan in, in another part of a war, conflict. But China didn't yeah. really exist. <laughs> it was a different country was, at the time. Yeah. Right? But anyway, mm-hmm. when in World War II, uh, Japan gives up the country and it goes to the government which is the republic of china Mm -hmm. so the republic of china takes control of the island and in 1949 the communists take control of china it's the people's republic of china China. so what happens is the existing government the republic of china goes to taiwan and you know to hide in exile and over the course of several years also like 1.2 1.2 million other Chinese go with them, and they essentially take control of Taiwan. And the People's Republic of China tries to take control. It, they have several kind of military disputes, but they are never able to militarily take control right. of the island. One of the things that I did not know is that after the communists took control, you got Taiwan, and again, you got to remember the location, the strategic the Republic of China puts a like a navy embargo against the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. So Taiwan and China is just kind of how we refer to them rather than Republic of yeah. China and People's Republic of China. But Taiwan makes a navy embargo against China and they stop t- 
tons. And what year was this? This so they started that in 1949. Oh, but yes. they've been doing it for several years. In 1954, there's like a like major incident where Taiwan essentially took control of a Russian ship that was trying to deliver stuff, and they took like you know 40 something people hostage, and it turned into a kind of a big incident, and there was kind of a, a naval war that happened. Hundreds of people died on both sides. It kind of became international because of the involvement of Russia. The U.S. stepped in. The U.S. ends up in 1954, after this incident, they signed a treaty with the Taiwan that supports the Republic of China as the legitimate government of all of China. So in 1954, the U.S. is saying Taiwan is essentially the legitimate government over China rather than the communists. So there's several things that happen. You know, there's a lot of conflicts that still happen in that uh, naval, you know, arena. They have a, a very specific line between the two of them because of all these conflicts. Yeah. And, but what what ends up happening is that over time, China, the, the communist China, starts to become recognized. So in 1971, Taiwan is no longer recognized. The Republic of China is no longer recognized by the United Nations, but the People's Republic of China is. So then in 1978, there's another big, you know, sort of thing that happens where uh, the U.S. is working essentially with uh, China and acknowledges the Chinese position that there is but one China and Taiwan is part of China. That's the wording, is that we acknowledge that the Chinese position is that China has control of Taiwan. We don't mm-hmm. acknowledge that they do control it. We just acknowledge that that's their position. And then we also state, but we will maintain you know, cultural, commercial, and other unofficial relations with the people of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So we're basically saying we're going to keep talking to these guys. And in 1979, we signed what's called the Taiwan Relations Act. And we basically say, if Taiwan is invaded, we will provide military weapons sufficient that they can defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, people talk about this because we don't say that we will defend them. We say we will supply them. And it's, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. If the U.S. gets invaded, Taiwan has to send us stuff. They have 23 million people. They do. And they actually <laughs> uh, have a lot of capabilities. And They're we'll, very technologically advanced. And we'll talk about that. But the important thing with this is that we're not saying we will defend them. We, we say... We will help them defend themselves. Right, which we have in the past eight years. Yeah. We have been sending them and, and even aid longer and than weapons. That, for a long time, we've been sending, helping them defend themselves. Right. But I mean, specifically under Trump and Biden, yeah. there have been incidents of, of sending uh, weapons and money. But one of the things that's kind of important about the, the reason that it's important that we don't say that we will defend them no matter what is one of China's, you know, lines in the sand that they don't want crosses. They don't want Taiwan to have any independence at all. Mm-hmm. And they say that if Taiwan declares independence, that's an act of war. So then you would have to defend them. Then you would have to defend them. Mm-hmm. So people are saying they want the U.S. to step in and say they would defend them no matter what. But some critics of that are saying, well, that would mean that Taiwan can basically, we're declaring use independence the and Army. use the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sensitive thing, and there's a lot of political stuff behind it. But in the you know since that time, Taiwan's also joined the World Trade Organization in 2002, mm-hmm. and they've also attended the World Health Assembly and been recognized by the United Nations in 2009. So they're starting to get that mm-hmm. foreign recognition, not necessarily as an independent country because nobody wants to cross that line no and and this makes even this joining the world trade organization and the world health assembly makes china mad oh i i they, rate in some cases yes. 
they have been trying really hard to undo all of those things. Yeah, they have a, a policy, the, their one China policy, where they basically say, you know, this is their quote, there is but one China in the world. Taiwan is an inalienable part of China's territory and the government of the People's Republic of China is the sole legal government representing the whole of China. Mm -hmm. And they have issues with this with Hong Kong now as well. That they're having leadership issues and and people... Taiwan itself, I think, considers itself like a province, like a little just a territory. And China's like, nope. (laughs) I I think they would like to consider themselves their own country, but they know that the consequences of doing that would be great, so they don't. They don't. But they do have their own military, and they do have yep. their own prime minister, and they do have an entirely separate government yep. from the Republic of China. They had their own presidential elections in mm-hmm. 1996. So another thing that I didn't know is they weren't the least bit democratic before that. So yeah. they were essentially an authoritarian regime up until 1996. Mm-hmm. And the, they had their the first Republic democratic election. was not a democratic or... Is still not a democratic <laughs> well they don't they, they are democratic now Taiwan, oh they do have no china china is not mm-hmm. but the republic of china which would is taiwan was not democratic until mm-hmm. 1996 yeah the the, the terminology can be kind it of does, confusing, confusing because the republic of china and the people's republic of china sound pretty close but mm-hmm. those are the two different s- systems mm-hmm. you know as china said you know one china two systems is what the China, you know, folks say is that, yeah, they might, they're governing themselves, but they're still part of us mm-hmm. because they want to make sure that everybody knows that they control Taiwan. So Taiwan is, and one of the other things that I found, the RAND organization, which is just a think tank, they put mm-hmm. out something say, you know, that where they're talking about the relations with China and they say Taiwan is kind of, there's a couple things that if you cross the line, bad things could happen. One of them is Taiwan. And then the other ones are if you go after like their nuclear capabilities or they had some other defense things that those are their lines in the sand. So Taiwan is a big it's deal for that. A big deal. And the reason it's connected to the balloons just to throw this in as a little bit of a teaser for what we're going to talk about later, if some of you are wondering, is they fly these balloons over Taiwan. They do that. They have like four balloons all the time over Taiwan. So that's one of the reasons why this leads in. But we'll talk more about background and get to that in a second. Yeah, and not only balloons. So they what they do consistently is they send military planes and ships into what would be considered Taiwan territory. Right. And Taiwan claims this as their own. So yeah. China sees that Taiwan is becoming an a country without permission and they don't like it. But there are different reasons why they don't like it. And yeah. some of them are really selfish reasons. So they send these planes over and this is kind of reminiscent. The U.S. would do this to Russia in the, the Cold War is you send these military planes toward the other person's border, make them react, and then you pull them away. Ha, ah, just kidding. Mm-hmm. And that China's doing that pretty much every day. Yeah, all the time. And they have, because it's only 100 miles between them, so they have, and all they and they sometimes cross that line. They yeah. cross the uh, line over. They cross over, it a lot. And they send over drones. They send yep. over these balloons, like, because China is like, nope, that's our land. We can do whatever we want. But Taiwan doesn't consider themselves connected in the same way. Yeah, and Taiwan, I think, has basically, I, I'm pretty sure that they have a, a separate line that if China crosses, they'll actually shoot planes down. So there's a game of chicken over where that line is that, that's being played daily. I feel like this is a better game to be played diplomatically. But they don't. They just are like, oh, yeah, my muscles are stronger than That's yours. That's right. Look how beautiful my pecs are. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's, t- let's, let's talk about stuff. Yeah. So then another thing with Taiwan is as far as their economic capacity, they make a lot of 
microchips. They're actually one of the biggest uh-huh. they microchip are makers in the, the world. Biggest. They make 90% of the world's manufacturing in microchips and semiconductors. I, I, I phrased that weird and it caught me. But they, they are 90% of the world's manufacturing of microchips. And if you think about it, the average car these days has between 1,000 and 3,000 microchips or semiconductors in it. So this is a huge deal. They're ghost, they're ghost, they're, they're domestic product, gross, that's the word, gross domestic, gross product, domestic product is $1.6 trillion. So this tiny island the size of Maryland has the gross domestic product 19th in the world because of this. They And China only makes up 10% of who they sell their semiconductors to. But China needs these semiconductors. They want these semiconductors. So, Which can lead into another thing. Just recently in uh, 2022, the United States put um, an embargo on any advanced semiconductors being sold to China. Mm -hmm. And when they say advanced, what they're talking about is they really want anything that can be used in AI or anything in these high-capacity chips. China's growth as well as their um, military capabilities. Because the, the AI, China is pretty open about saying that they're going to use AI to help their military out. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm sure the U.S. is also planning on you know, doing that. It, it takes a lot of computing power, so they're taking essentially all the newest versions of these microchips and preventing China from getting access to them. Mm-hmm. And not just the microchips, but any equipment that makes them. And the equipment that makes them is actually really it's very particular and And there are not very many places that offer this kind of technology to make this kind of technology they can have pieces of of equipment i don't even know what to call it that are one one ten thousandth the size of a human hair like these are very precision instruments and there are not many of them but taiwan has Taiwan has this capability. The, the capabilities to make them. Um, the U.S. does as well. The U.S. doesn't manufacture a lot, but the U.S. is very involved in the technology. Uh, there's also yes. some countries in Europe. There's, I don't remember if it's uh, Denmark or somewhere around there. has a very advanced manufacturer that, that makes the equipment for it. Right. And the U.S. has been working with them to make sure that they're not giving China the capability. And, and China's not very nice, so these people aren't very hard to convince. Yeah. <laughs> and this, of course, offends China greatly. Yeah, it, it really does because it, this feels like a very aggressive act to It them. is a very aggressive act. It's just they're even more offended than most countries would be. Uh, and I really wonder because one of the things, going back... I think of a comparison to World War II when uh, Japan went into China in like uh, 1937 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, the U.S. kind of reacted and started putting embargoes on Japan. And Mm -hmm. Japan's a very small island. I mean, very small relative. Yeah, it doesn't have as many resources. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of resources. It's a large country. So it needs these resources. It's trying to become a world power, and it's doing that actually, you know, before World War II or in World War II by going out and taking a lot of territory in that South China Sea area. But they go into China, and the U.S. responds by putting an embargo on them to stop them from getting iron and fuel. So they can't get the fuel that they need for their air force and a lot of people say that's kind of the cause of Pearl Harbor is you basically put Japan in a situation where they're desperate. They're they're desperate. They mm-hmm. can't. They're about to be economically cut off. So they're either going to decide, you know, accept their fate. They have to fate. very very visually express their yeah. dislike of the situation. They're 
what else what else do they know what to do with yeah so they felt like the only thing you know essentially it was an act of war against them to do that so mm-hmm. the pearl harbor was kind of a response to that is, right. is what some people are saying and so things are getting really finicky for taiwan and china yeah and economically there is a lot more going on too there's been yep. talks of uh, the U.S. upping the trade war sort of thing with China, but the U.S. is so dependent on Chinese goods, which seems like it would give China a big advantage that yep. they could cut off goods. But but China, China needs is the U.S. to buy the U.S. goods, goods as well because so, China is the number one economy. The United States is the number two economy. By, by GDP, China is second to the U.S., but in manufacturing terms. China blows the U.S. out yeah. of the water by mm-hmm. far. Because we're more of a services country and they are a manufacturing country. Yeah, so So if, they, if you want a really good, I was going to say, like, if you want your nails done, come That's to America. Right. <laughs> if you want buildings and products made, go to China. Yeah, which you can imagine <laughs> in a wartime situation, which one might be Which more one beneficial. might be helpful. Look at that beautiful ship made of nails. <laughs> like, That's right. All the best salons helped out. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting to see some of these connections when you get into, you know, when you talk about the balloon. It, it's, you know, sometimes the balloon is more than just a balloon. Yes, and here's where we segue into why this matters with the balloon. Unless there's something else you want to say. Uh, we'll get to anything later. Let's okay. say. So... In 2021, Taiwan Prime Minister gives an interview and says China is being very threatening. They are trying to take us out of our global organizations. They are, um, and we get a four-star general, which this, this also comes up again. So in March 2020, so this is even before, this is like as COVID is coming out there is a general who says there's going to be a war in the next six years with China. And he's like, we can plan on this. So Trump starts to send weapons to Taiwan, which is an insult to China. China's mad, which well, they've already released our COVID. I don't know <laughs> what else is happening. So they, China starts upping their drills with their boats, and they start flying into Taiwanese airspace which is something they had not done before this time. They used to go around China, I mean Taiwan, and now they are doing that game of chicken. Like they're angry and they're doing this. Anyway, the Biden administration even expanded the U.S. operations in Taiwan. So this is becoming a big thing. Well, Taiwan believes China's trying to keep them out. Taiwan's upset. So China is cyber attacking Taiwan. And there's a huge conflict in Taiwan versus China, but now China is sending misinformation and trying to make a huge conflict between the United States and Taiwan. So now we fast forward. We're up to date. Here we are a few weeks ago when Xi Jinping, who is the president of the People's Liberation, I mean, of the Republic of China, <laughs> tells the People's Liberation Army that we're going to focus all its energy on fighting in preparation for war. So he tells them, get ready for war. Now, he's already done this. He did this in October of last year and November of last year. But he comes up a few weeks ago and says that he's going to do this um, and to kind of get ready. And he's mad already at the United States because they have offered Taiwan these things. So then right after he says, get ready for war, (laughs) out pops this mysterious balloon. Now, we know what the balloon is. Before anybody anybody identified it from China, and they admitted it was theirs, we all knew it was China's balloon because they'd been sending these over Taiwan, and the the people in our military... Um, in the higher up levels, already knew that this was the type of balloon they have. They have this gigantic balloon force, which is fascinating because it has to do with the Space Force, which I'm sure we will talk about later. So, (laughs) 
I, I'm just going to spit it in here. So the United States started the Space Force under Trump, and everyone was like, <laughs> turns out it's because China and Russia already have one. And this is where this segues into crazy town for me, because, and we will also tell you more about this, that's what we're dealing with here. We are dealing with Space Force issues. So January 28th, it's a Saturday. The balloon is first detected in U.S. airspace over Alaska, north of the Aleutian Islands. So NORAD, quote unquote, takes control of it and labels it as not a threat and not an intelligence risk at this time. This is, this is Saturday the 28th, okay? Monday the 30th, NORAD tracks the balloon as it floats over. So this, what they're saying now is that it was not an intelligence risk to Alaska. Okay, now they're watching it go into Canada. Once it hits Canadian airspace, it is still NORAD can like have its role, but you know it's kind of Canada's yeah. call for things. Um, it is determined that it is indeed a spy balloon on the thirtieth. It appears to have surveillance equipment, including a collection pod for information, solar panels, um, uh, like a metal structure that has everything attached to it, but it also appears to have a small motor and propellers. Yeah. So that will come in later. (laughs) And the officials determine that it can be actively piloted. So not, of course, in person, but from the ground. And they've, you know, again, there's been tons of these Chinese spy balloons over the last few years, and they've flown a lot of places. So not just over Taiwan, but over a lot of places. And, and I'm going to remind you that they have a space force and remind you that this fits into that category. So there were three known balloons in the Trump administration. There was two. This is the second in the Biden administration. So there was one prior to this one. But this one is so far the longest duration, and we've hit two days. Okay. So, Tuesday, January 31st, the balloon re-enters the U.S. airspace over northern Idaho, right? Did you know it was in Idaho? I didn't know it was in Idaho. No, because I'll tell you why. All right. This is is like, I can't even express how bananas I get over this. This is like crazy (laughs) town to me. So, the Department of Defense says to Joe Biden, hey, we got this balloon and it just entered back into U.S. airspace. And Biden says shoot it down. And the Pentagon says, actually, we want to kind of observe this balloon and um, like watch what it does. But also there's civilians like we we don't want to just crash it down, which I don't believe. I believe they more so wanted to observe it. So what they do is they (laughs) say we're going to have all of the places that are sensitive spots only send communications that are encrypted and then we're going to have no drills and no anything we're kind of locking things down so that they get no more information than they would from the satellites that they already have right so they didn't perform any exercises no activities all of the information sent was encrypted but they kind of just sort of slowed down operations at these sensitive points which are well known so here comes february 1st Okay, the balloon. Remember, it looks like it has maneuverability. Originally, it's following a similar pattern as the jet stream, which we'll talk more about later. Oh, it heads over Malmstrom Air Force Base, which is one of the three silo-based intercontinental ballistic missile sites in America. Now, the one in Montana is the one that is closest to Russia. So they placed this one so it would go over the North Pole and kablooey Moscow because, so specifically Moscow. So during the height of the Cold War, this is not secret information. I I know that because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when they were talking about it on the news, they're like, oh, it's over this ICBM thing. And I thought, well, then they already know. Yeah. You know, you just told them if they didn't, but I assume they already know. Everybody already knows where these sites are, but it's kind of fascinating, and I'll tell more information about this, I'm sure. 
but they they had thousands of spots where they could have missiles go during the Cold War, as in, like, yeah. launch them. But there were only a few that were underground silos. And this is one of three that is left. But there were so many. So they have this meeting on February 1st. And they put all of the flights out of the Billings, Montana International Airport down for two hours. And they decide that they're going to shoot down the balloon with F-22 fighter jets. Then they say, wait, it might land on people. This is pretty big. And it would have a seven-mile debris field. So the president says to the Pentagon, shoot it down as soon as it's safe. Okay? So here comes my conspiracy theory. All right. I like, I like to add these in here. So I think that they could have shot down the balloon over Montana. Seven miles. You could probably have fewer people and cows in a seven-mile area of Montana than you can in the ocean off of the Atlantic <laughs> coast because there's so many ships out there. So I was like, you know, it's one of the, I think it is the least populated state. It might be second. I think size-wise, it's the least. Yeah. I think Wyoming, I think Wyoming has less overall, but it's not as big. It, whatever, though, because there ain't lots of people in Montana. That's true. There's more people. I don't even think they break a million. Like, they, I think they're in the lower to mid hundreds of thousands, and I should have checked that, and I meant to, and I didn't. But it's one of the least populated states. And it's also one of the bigger states. It, yeah, it's one of the bigger states. Um, so my guess is that they want to bring it down in the ocean so that they have a higher probability of... Recovering? Yeah. You, you smash harder against the ground. And my dad says, no. <laughs> the, the, the water's hard. And I was like, but I'm so smart, though. <laughs> I might be wrong. I don't know but that what is the what answer. I think. Like, I... Uh, I, I think if you had to guess which one would be worse, I'd think the ground would be. Worse it would be. Than I would water, think it would be harder. But. but but also, I mean, what a nightmare it was when they did it. But we'll get to that. So, they decide that they're going to do so over U.S. waters because once it hits international waters, they don't have the same permissions to go recover all the stuff. Plus, it's a whole heck of a lot deeper. So where they did it, there's a depth of forty feet. So. Um, they work with NASA and the military to determine what debris field would be ideal, what they should do. And I want to know, because they have like these maps of where this balloon is going to go. And I'm like, we're out of the jet stream now. Like, where is this guy coming? Like, how, how are you trying to convince us that this is not like it's just a rogue balloon? Because they've said so by now. Um and it's, like, specifically flying. I mean, it goes over almost Camp Lejeune area. Like, I mean, we are, they are hitting some of our most sensitive sites. And, and I don't know <laughs> if you have any information on this, but the way I heard it is the U.S. is reaching out to China saying, hey, let's talk about this, and China will not respond. I do have information about that. So, this is what happens on February 2nd. February 2nd, they make it public. This is when everybody hears about it because the Pentagon issues the statement. So up until this time, they've known that they've had four other balloons that have crossed over in the past however many years. They've not said boo. But this time, they're saying boo, which I have another conspiracy theory about later. So then there are reports that day of a second balloon over Central and South America. Now, if you follow the jet streams, the jet stream can leave China, it can go over Taiwan, it can go up um, through Alaska and down through Canada and hit the Americas and uh, go over Camp Lejeune, probably not, but, but, it, but it can do the other thing. It probably, I mean, that's really coincidental that it hit all of these spaces, I mean, especially the Montana factor. But it can. However, this one in Central and South America, it cannot. Because it went from north to south, and all of the jet streams go from east to west. I mean, from west to east. So they all flow a particular way, and the one around the equator is much faster. Like, the inner portion of the jet stream gets up to 1,000 miles an hour sometimes. So 
this guy if he oh look at her lost balloon that is defying yeah. physics like it's just not gonna have it's not gonna happen the other thing that i recall with that is that uh and i got this i think from an article uh i think it was in like uh al jazeera or something oh, uh-huh. but uh they they gave different reasons for the u.s balloon and the columbia balloon and they're like oh yeah the u.s balloon that's uh just an unmanned weather surveillance one oh they did and then the Columbia one, they're like, oh, that's a civilian one, but it's used for flight tests. So, so, so they get different. If you look at the jet stream, it does split right after China. And part of it does head down south towards the Americas. But the bigger part of it goes north because it's kind of, they're like circular. So that the way that the paths go, the equator one does pick up right at that spot and pull it back down to the equator. And then the Arctic one picks up at that spot and pulls it up to the arctic so it is possible but it's just only that much of it like the rest of it's not really possible um so blinken who is secretary of state State, decides that he's going to postpone his trip to china on this day which is a huge insult to china there this is (laughs) i don't know why they're like, I'm so pissed that you didn't believe our pretend story that it was a weather balloon. So That's the part where I start getting, like, something. Yes. <laughs> you know something's fishy mm-hmm. when their reaction to, oh, our balloon mm-hmm. went over your sensitive areas. And then they and then go, I'm so mad, I'm so mad that, that you're you upset that we put our balloon over yeah. your sensitive areas. But, so, it's actually the third where the Chinese Foreign Ministry acknowledges that there is a balloon and it's China's balloon, but they claim that it's the civilian airship that collects weather, weather data. However, they never explain what kind of weather data it collects. They never explain what civilian owns this airship. They don't give, they don't offer up any information. They just say, oops, it accidentally entered U S airspace and we express regret. And the U S officials, push back and say hey nope this is clearly a surveillance balloon and it is in violation of u.s sovereignty like it's come over so they make the plan to shoot the balloon down over north carolina which is again a huge military spot for the united states shouldn't be going there by the the weather wind and weather patterns say this is like a one in a thousand shot so i mean possible but not with the exactness that it has. Well, right? not only that, but we have a weather channel. We can actually go see what the patterns yep. were, mm-hmm. and we know we know it that didn't your, your balloon is like I'm going yeah. 900 miles an hour, except over this spot yeah. where there's missiles, <laughs> and, and then the wind's blowing this way. But the balloon, you know, the balloon's yeah. not traveling. Follow with it all. The wind. And so February fourth, which is a Saturday, which means we've gone full week. The president is in constant contact with the Pentagon. He's constantly talking um, because they are just telling him the plan. Okay? So they, the, the FAA grounds the flights in Wilmington, North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, as well as Charling, Charlington, Charleston, South Carolina airports. Okay? And they have so many planes from all of the billions of military bases over there. They have F-22s, they have F-15s, and they're coming from Virginia, they're coming from Massachusetts, and then they have an aircraft carrier, like, off of the side, because that's huge military land, right? So, and I'll quote this from the Politico article, it says, at 2.39 p.m., the F-22 flying at 58,000 feet shoots a single... AIM-9X Sidewinder air-to-air missile and takes down the balloon, which is flying at an altitude of 60,000 to 65,000 feet. And the military begins efforts to recover the balloon, which fell six nautical miles off the coast at an estimated 47 feet of water. The amphibious ship, the USS Carter Hall, and the destroyer USS Oscar Austin and the cruiser Philippine Sea are in the area to aid with recovery. Navy divers are in position. Okay, 
Because again, this is like, you don't get much more military than this particular section. Yeah. <laughs> because that's why they picked it. And then China later that day is so mad. So, of course, because they are trying to position themselves in a way that makes the United States look stupid about this. Oh, they're shooting down the mm-hmm. civilian this civilian thing that went all over their country for weather. Yeah, now we will never know what the weather does. I know, darn United States. So they say that they're they. I mean, at this time, China start threatening repercussions. Here is where, like, it's like, wait a second, like you know this is stupid, yeah. China. You know, no one in China would be like. Welcome, U.S. weather balloon. Don't don't Look shoot down cool. the U.S. weather balloon. <laughs> you know it's not happening. So, China says, um, oh, actually, this is America. America says this didn't pose a threat to American people, but it was in our airspace for multiple days, and it was an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. Okay, I don't know anybody in any country. That is like, we love that, especially the big countries. Like, who are like, I have the capabilities to shoot this down. I'm not going to. I think the small countries are like, I don't think you're going to find anything here that you don't already know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we don't have an ICBM base or Mm -hmm. anything. But it is Sunday. By Sunday, China only response is, we already told you. We already told you what it was. We already told you we're not going to talk to you anymore. And so... Here is why this balloon is such a concern. And this is where it gets into fascinating territory. You thought we were in fascinating territory? Oh, no. (laughs) We are about to walk into the fascinating territory. Because never in the history of time has a country who has wanted good relations with another country not continued discourse in this type of situation. It has happened before with U.S. and Russia, or USSR, in the Cold War, and they wanted when good we were relations. almost ready to go to oh. war. So we didn't want good relations. We when were it's happened, <laughs> things have not been. Things are great. not good. You're right. So what I am saying here is because I, I the caveat of good relations yeah. is what I'm saying. This is tactic, and in my personal opinion, they are trying to convince the Chinese people that the United States are bad, and try to like cover the fact that they whoopsie these surveillance explorations. But, like I said, they never say what they were studying. They never admit that there's a motor, even though I do believe that the the government has visual that there's a motor on this baby. They they had visuals of a Mm -hmm. a rudder, for sure. Of a rudder. So they know that it's steerable and was intended Mm -hmm. to be steered. Which, Which China says is not possible. It's just a balloon. It's also gigantic yeah so it is the size lengthwise across of three school buses lengthwise and the normal average weather balloon is about 20 feet across so this is like mega weather balloon (laughs) it doesn't need to be this big but there was also no warning from china that it was on its way which and that's what i think it's everybody Mm -hmm. it would have happened and because they had done this in the past and also never warned anybody and also never been like, oh, we apologize that our balloons are so creative in finding these ways to America. Like, this has become very suspicious. Yeah, and one of the things, the, the, the weather balloon thing is going back to the Cold War in 1960, the U.S. flew a, a, a U-2 plane over Russia. And... It got caught, yep. essentially. And, and the U.S. didn't know that their pilot had been captured. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. was like, it's just a weather just plane. Just a weather plane. <laughs> and that, we just want to know what the weather is and, doing up here. And then here. The Russia's like, well, Over your guy already told us like very much. that it, that's not true. And we're like, oh, sorry about that. And, and all that really makes me think is, be a little more creative, China. We mm-hmm. already used weather. We used weather. We it's know weather's not done. the thing. Use it because you're using your space force and trying to get surveillance. Yeah. So Canada sends out this response. And I have to be honest, this is the lamest response ever, and I'm a little pissed off at Canada. (laughs) 
So a Canadian Air Force spokesperson told the Associated Press, citizens, and I quote, the reason they didn't shoot it down is because their citizens would not have appreciated having a missile blowing over their heads, which is hilarious because if we shot a missile from Montana to Moscow, it would also fly over Canada's heads. And I'm sure they really wouldn't appreciate that one. But he says later also, it might be overkill spending a couple hundred thousands of dollars to shoot down a balloon that's drifting away. And I think Canada, what? It might be. Might or be. Or it, it, and it that's was a the good problem idea. is it always depends on what's on the balloon. Because mm-hmm. if it's a weather balloon, that's definitely overkill. It is overkill. If it is a weather balloon, it's overkill. If it is the fifth weather balloon in your airspace in four years, Maybe you should consider it might not be a weather balloon. Yeah, and if it if you know that it's steerable, and you mm-hmm. called up China and said, "Hey, your weather balloons out of you know came into our territory on accident. Why don't you steer it out of here?" Yeah, my if mom gave it to me for my there, birthday. Then you'd know. Okay. Yeah, but here's what really happened. Yeah, China does not have the capability to shoot down this air balloon, and this is where we finally reach the point where things get crazy. So, the average weather balloon flies in a territory between 120,000 feet and usually in the 80s of thousands of feet. But as you see here by this balloon, you're in the territory of 65,000 feet. So, I'm going to just do another quick Cold War thing. The U.S. did balloons over Russia Mm -hmm. in, in the 60s as well. And what they forgot to take into account was that get super cold up there mm-hmm. and they lose altitude so they were putting them up at the hundred thousand and then they dropped down and then they dropped down because uh they conspiracy theory point number 457 is, is the intent is to have them higher and the u.s didn't realize they were dropping down until they were in the aircraft view 40,000 lanes mm-hmm. so an average aircraft flies at 40,000 feet okay so these if they're at 65,000 feet they're not an aircraft plane. You're fine. You can have your weather balloon up there. But here is my thing. And I'm like all over the place on this. There is no fighter plane in the world that can fly above 70,000 feet in, a, in the world. Because the air is too thin. Because the air is too thin. Is it can't thin. go. But the U.S. fighter F-22 can fly at about 65. So the United States has the highest ceiling of any airplane, and I do believe they're getting in the F-35s. Um, they say they have a higher than 50,000 ceiling, but the F-22s can hit 65, okay? So my theory is they couldn't have shot those other five balloons. Because, because I mean, those other fours because they were too high. There's nothing they could do. They didn't tell anybody but here comes this balloon, and it's too low. Now they can do something. So that's also my theory. So <laughs> It could be legit, because I was looking into something. I thought they could shoot it down with lasers. Yeah. And I was looking into lasers, you know, just to see if that was actually an option, and I'm not sure that it is. Well, you would have to be. You would be twenty to 40,000 feet below this thing. Yeah, and I didn't realize. Yeah. You'd, you'd I cut thought, all so, the satellites in half. Russia said that they could. They've shot stuff down at five kilometers, um, and, and in my head, I'm like, that's a that's a lot. You mm-hmm. know, that's a long way. Mm-hmm. But it ain't no forty thousand yeah, feet. Once you get hit a certain mm-hmm. point, but that the U.S. is also working on. They were, um, I, I think the U.S. currently works with like uh, something like thirty thousand kilowatts or you know lasers in that area. But they're working on like a three hundred one that they're. And you know where they're going to use it? In the Space Force, which we will talk about more in a minute. Because I'm going to still blark on Canada. (laughs) Because Canada has CF-18 fighter jets, and their ceiling is 50,000 feet. So they are, at 65, that's too high for them. They cannot get to this balloon. And so this schmo is like, well, it's just a drifting balloon. What overkill. For us I didn't to, want to invent shoot it down anyway. a new jet in a day that could get there. <laughs> I'm so mad. Now I'm bitter. 
Also, in 1998, Canada tried to shoot down a loose weather balloon, a real weather balloon, and couldn't after they shot a thousand rounds at it because because it, it was too high. Um, so here's where nuclear issues, space force becomes at play. And this is why this is scary. It's because China and Russia have a space force, and now the United States does too, it will hit that layer above 40,000 feet. So above where the airplanes fly. And if you attach a nuclear device to a balloon that is up that high, the United States did this, and they detonated a nuclear weapon long time ago at 80,000 feet. And what it does is it causes massive amounts of damage. But it also sends out this pulse. And the pulse is called an EMP pulse. And it does it in an exact triangulation from the height to the globe. So if this thing is at 40,000 feet and it detonates, the triangle's small. If it is at 80,000 feet, the triangle's huge. If it is at 120, which these balloons can get to, it is ginormous. It has the capability of sending one of these EMP pulses to a range the size of Texas. Okay? And <laughs> I don't, now I'm all like caught up in myself. Like, I've got myself. And you can't shoot it down. And if you attempt to, they can just detonate it where it is. So what this EMP pulse is, is it's a burst of energy that happens. And the burst of energy will fry every single circuit that you have in that range. So all of these wonderful circuits in Taiwan that we've been buying will just... So if China gets more control over Taiwan, they might do this just so that we'll all buy our circuits back. But it's, it would cripple, cripple. And if two, if, if they send somehow five of these babies at the same time, the United States is out. Like, we're just out. You put it over populated areas. You put it over unpopulated areas. You don't have water. You don't have anything. Because we are now so reliant on energy, on electricity, there's no more water. There's no more energy. There's no more anything. And it could take months to get things back up and if we have that. access to the pieces that we can fit them back together, which are in Taiwan, well, which we would have to get. <laughs> we've also, it, that, that chip act or whatever, we've started to try and pull production uh, back to the United States. Yes. So that was part of mm -hmm. the embargo against which is China. A great idea. The chips was, let's also make ourselves so we're not entirely dependent on foreign chips and mm -hmm. we'll make them here in the U.S. What I understand. But and one I... thing, too, just to, sure. you know, so that everybody that's not full of panic, there is a way to no, shield from, full of panic. from these <laughs> electromagnetic pulses. So you can shield equipment. And, the, in, in fact, all the, well, I, I won't say all because I don't know if it's true, but the U.S. has a lot of military jets and fighters, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, that are, are shielded, that could take an EMP blast oh, good. and still survive. I didn't know that. Now, our civilian stuff, your iPad's gone. And I my, was under the impression it was only if it was operating. It is. Yeah. So if it's not operating. If it's not operating, it doesn't do boo to it. It's not going to happen. Just if there's an electrical current yeah. going through If it. it's operating, essentially, uh, From my what understanding is <laughs> right. right. And, and there's a, a lot specialist. of people that have a lot of information on this. And if you go to, like, prepper sites, there's a lot of people that mm -hmm. will tell you all about the EMPs. All about EMPs because that's actually one of the biggest concerns. And they it talk is. about it in space, too. Is In theory, if you were to detonate one in, in space, that triangle becomes huge. 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 So if you go above country. the stratosphere into space, this is what we're talking about here now. Yeah. It, is, it goes down in a full cone from wherever the blast hits. Yeah. That's a huge and amount of luckily, space. Luckily, we, we have signed a, space a treaty voice. saying we would never, you know, nobody will do nukes in space. So yeah. a treaty is going to save us. But mm, Oh, yeah, because we all know that we Nobody would violate the treaty. <laughs> nobody would, especially not China. <laughs> They're so trustworthy and kind. 
Anyway, so this is why this is a big deal, even though it doesn't seem like a big deal. And when I read that CNN article, I wanted to smack that person across the face because I just think it's okay if this doesn't turn into a big deal. Yeah. But you need to recognize it has the potential to be a big deal. And, And even just outside of the EMP thing, there's just this concept of, elevation and sovereignty like this is one of those this is like flying the planes towards somebody's border to make them react oh yeah like you're, you're really playing a game of chicken mm-hmm. they're, they're like china knows and what they got this could caught mean. Uh-huh. and they know what you know they know what they're doing with this because they know that america knows what kind of things happen yeah. when you send up a nuclear bomb on a weather balloon the size of three school buses america probably is the leader in any sort of like military technology we know most of this stuff Mm -hmm. and it's not true with a lot of stuff because like hypersonic missiles we're behind on research with that which was actually you know you say cnn kind of downplayed it and my initial thoughts like a person like an op-ed my my thoughts were kind of the same thing as got these countries with you know hypersonic missiles and stuff like that why or why is a balloon such a big deal mm-hmm. well that's why there's that's legit pretty reasons. much one of the very few other than also laser possibilities yeah. it's one of the few reasons it's a big deal and and lasers don't have like that emp you know aside from radiation and stuff like that which i think if you detonate in space i don't think the radiation makes it here but if EMP it does, does. It's, pro- it's not as high level. But if you're you de- farther away. if you were to detonate it in the atmosphere at say the 120,000 feet, that radiation is also going to come down and because you'll have ruined whatever levels of yeah, and and it's going to be a large set up a area certain way uh, that is now potentially I don't know cancerous or whatever. Oh, for sure, you will have you will have ruined whatever I don't know what to call it, but. One thing, did did you see that the U.S. launched an ICDM? Oh, Oh, my word. That was kind of an escalation. I texted you. Yeah. I was like, guess what happened? Um, Yes. So the United States, they they did. They sent an intercontinental ballistic missile that was had nothing in it. It was just the missile to play the cat and mouse game back, like the chicken. That's the name. To play chicken back. I have never been alive and aware of a time when the United States has so blatantly done this before. Yeah, this is the first that I Mm -hmm. recall being alive. And Mm -hmm. like I said, the Cold War, the U.S. did this sort of thing with Russia. This is the first time that I know since then. And it's kind of fascinating because um, when I went and I saw it, because they did it at like 11 o'clock at night, whatever California time or something shot it over towards North Korea and China, which just just seems like a bad idea. Well, another thing too, North Korea at the same time China's doing this, they just did a parade of their yes. ICBMs at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they're doing their own kind of show of force. Uh, look, we can hit. They you do guys that parade too. every year though, and and they also launch their their terrible into missiles the <laughs> ocean into the, all the time. The ocean, we're a threat. They could hit Japan. They could hit the broad side of a barn. I tease about this because I, I find them obnoxious. But it really is. It really is. It's a, a threat. serious threat. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it is. Like country wise, they. I don't want to say they're just more of a joke of a country, but they're they're a smaller threat than most anybody we can think of. But they do have nuclear capabilities, and, and they are crazy. advancing their rockets. Mm-hmm. And, and they're willing to do yeah, stuff that other countries aren't willing to do because they don't have any of the re, um, relationships with other countries that would stop them like it would other countries. Yeah. So when I went to go look for that story to show my dad, I couldn't find it. And so I'm like, and now they've shot down the little car over Alaska. <laughs> The, the Which, thing in space the size of a car, and that's all you can find when you search. You yep. can't find the fact that the United States shot an intercontinental ballistic missile that direction. And I'm like, this is a big deal. Like, I don't know. 
and and there's a lot more to it too. There's several articles that I read have been talking that this is essentially the best time and decade for China to act if they're going to act. Oh yeah, think of what they're acting against. We've got a president with dementia. We have a population in their youth that are incapable of being good fighters because they're wussy and they're like all victims of, of things. And and then we have, and, and I, those are actually two of my bigger ones. So <laughs> some of the ones that they mention is China's economy is actually slowing. So they're potentially oh, yes. peaking at mm-hmm. where their they have a production ton output of is people. going to be. In that age group, and they don't have a yeah, lot. Yeah, they have an underneath. aging population, so mm-hmm. they're potentially going to age themselves out of having a larger yep. military. Mm-hmm. So, the the other thing is that you got uh, Xi Jinping. Jin, she, it's she, Jinping. That's his his rule. He he's currently in charge, but he's getting older, and the the yeah. thought is that the is next leader won't be as strong as him. So if you lose your strong leader, uh-huh. then so you potentially want to do it under his leadership because he's had a very strong leadership role. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been in power since, I, I think, 2012, and he's been very strong for China. So there's several arguments that this is their best time. If you look at some of their other actions, too, a couple of years ago, they put out something saying... They as in China? They as in China. Mm-hmm. Said, quit putting... The, the, the translation essentially is, is sissy boys. Quit putting sissy boys on TV. We want strong yes. people on TV. Strong mm-hmm. male leadership. Which, they, which is another reason we're so weak over here. Because we got a lot of sissy boys on TV. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> but, but a lot of people, like that's how you boost your... Military, mm-hmm. you know, it, the U.S. would not be able to Which, form the the best military because we have a, number one a lot of overweight, a lot people of overweight, and people. a lot of sissy boys mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. That, that term might be offensive. I don't know, but I don't know either. But it's the, not the, when I say it. But I suppose that doesn't mean it's the, the terminology is basically meant to like we don't have a lot of manly, you know, no. men that are mm-hmm. ready and to we go don't out have a and join president. the military and fight. You know, the country. And our and our second in command is a woman who is also not intimidating. So if for some reason we lost our first in command, our second in command is not strong and intimidating. Yeah. Even though she can laugh a good laugh and say a good snarky comment, which is always appreciated. Oh, I was listening to the State Department press conference they gave a few days ago on the 9th of February and um, he was saying that that they're aware of the escalations and that this kind of thing didn't come out of the blue and he said it in a way that I mean it wasn't as convincing as Karine Jean-Pierre <laughs> just kidding she talks out of a binder but um, I believed him and I believed him that he's like this isn't a big deal to us you should see what else is back there this is kind of how I took it and I, and I think the reason we made it a big deal, again, is because I think it came down low enough that we could make it a big deal. And so I, I think that they're like, hey, it's down low enough. Let's get rid of this. Let's make it a thing. That they, they The way he had this look on his face, I thought, because he also said, we used it. We got as much information from them as they probably did from us. And, and it was another one of those times where I think I don't – quite believe you because I also don't think you fully know at this point but I thought they are like they are evaluating and assessing and then used it against China in a way that they couldn't before yeah it's really interesting I didn't watch that but that the way you say you know we got more from them than Mm -hmm. they got from us sort of thing could be part of that game of chicken absolutely yeah, because they can't verify we, this. We essentially, you know, dared them to do something, and they didn't. China's do... gonna be like, "No, nah, we got so much." Yeah, <laughs> we can't say that. That's right. <laughs> oh, it's been fascinating, and it'll be interesting to see where this goes because I have my mind on it. A real quick thought, though, before I end, 
my portion. If you have anything else you want to say, of course, that's welcome. These missile silo sites, not only are they not a secret, um, here's where I have my information. I'll, I'll give you all this information. Um, it's a national historic site. There are multiple of them. They're called the Minutemen Missile Sites. And they have, I found this information on the website that is made specifically by the government about them. Um, they have maps that tell exactly where they are. And it says on the website, from the mid-60s until the 1990s, there were a thousand Minutemen silos and a hundred corresponding launch control facilities and, and command control of these sites. Um, and they were, again, it talked about how they were close to Moscow, and they're 5,100 miles from Moscow, which I thought was fascinating. But they have, like, if you just keep going, they have, like, maps of what the actual sites look like underground like I, I, i'm sure they're probably a little bit off but i'm like why like just google it and you'll have that's everything what, you that's need right. to know you <laughs> like so of course you were just like checking to see if you could put maneuver stuff places i don't know that's just some funny shenanigans in my head but uh, anything yeah. else uh no, I think that's it. I think that'll wrap it up. And thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.